Gracious God, may only your words be spoken and your words be heard. Amen. This Sunday, the second Sunday after Christmas, the day before January 6th, which is the Feast of the Epiphany, this gospel that we've just heard recalls for us that first epiphany. The day which Jesus, as a baby, is revealed to and visited by the Magi, the kings, or the wise men. Now, if you're like a lot of other people, you probably have an image or a mental picture in your head about the Epiphany, which is likely a combination of We Three Kings of Orient Are, which we will be singing this morning, and a combination of little nativity scenes and Christmas or Epiphany pageants where children with Burger King hats on their heads are holding their little treasure chests and offering them to little baby Jesus lying in a manger surrounded by sheep and cows. This morning I invite you to imagine that Epiphany differently, to enter into the scene as it's actually described in the Bible. And in order to imagine it differently, it helps, I think, to wipe the slate clean a little bit of those images that we've accumulated over the years. For example, as most of you know, nowhere in the biblical story does it refer to those visitors as kings. They very likely were not kings. But rather, they were individuals who held simultaneously a combination of positions or roles in their governments or societies. They would have been a combination of high-ranking diplomat, astrologer, futurist, philosopher, political advisor, consultant, and high priest. Nowhere does it say exactly where they came from because the East is vague. And nowhere does the Bible story tell us how many of these individuals there were who took the journey and paid homage to Jesus. Three is the number that's often used, but only by backing into that number based on the three gifts that were presented. The gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. But Eastern Orthodox Christians believe there were 12 magi. There could have been more. There could have been as many as 20 or 30 of them. But you know, singing, we 27 or so high-ranking diplomat, astrologer, futurist, philosopher, political advisor, consultant, high priests of somewhere vaguely east of here are bearing gifts, we travel afar, doesn't really work as well. (laughs) So there we have it. But unfortunately, the story as we normally simplify it in our minds, reinforced by music and pageants, can become for us almost cartoonish. And if that happens, it loses touch with our lives, the way they're actually lived. The cartoon epiphany doesn't really speak into or address our lives the way they're lived now, in 2020. But the original biblical epiphany story as we read it, is not a safe or friendly, careful little story. It's rather an uncertain 
and risky and fast-paced, murderous, mysterious, realpolitik, joyful, tragic story, just like ours. At any rate, I'd like to look at three major movements in the story and how they apply to our lives. The first one is to recognize that God prompted or pointed the Magi toward Jesus. God prompted or pointed the Magi to move and to ask questions. There is a lot of movement in the story. In the time of King Herod, wise men from the east came from Jerusalem asking, where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? Again, we don't know exactly where they're from, but presumably they've traveled a long distance to get to the city of Jerusalem. They've left their homes, they've left their countries, they've left what they know, they've left their comfort zones. Something, in their case, astrology, their study of planetary movements, has prompted them or pointed them to go someplace else. Our spiritual journeys start by being prompted by something outside of ourselves and are choosing to follow that prompt. That's where our spiritual stories start, with something mysterious drawing us or prompting us to God as made known in Jesus. Something prompts us to move, to leave what we know, to go someplace unfamiliar, to get out of our comfort zone, and to ask questions. It's a truism of spirituality that faith in general and church involvement in particular is in response to God's prior action. In other words, Faith, having faith, or becoming more and more involved in a faith community is not something that we initiate, but rather faith and a deeper involvement in a faith community is in response to God's beckoning, God's invitation, God's prompting, God's pointing. God prompted or pointed the Magi, and God prompts and points us to move, to leave what we know, and to ask questions. The second insight from the story, I think, is that paying homage to Jesus, putting the Lord God at the center of our hearts and our lives, displaces or dethrones small g gods that are trying to lay claim to our hearts and lives. And therefore, putting God at the center of our lives is inherently a controversial and political thing to do. Notice what the Magi do in the presence of King Herod. They ask, where is the child born king of the Jews? When Herod hears this question, he's frightened. Why would Herod be frightened? They're asking where they can find the king. And what is Herod? A king. Herod did not like any threats, perceived or real, to his power. And Jesus, even though at the time of this story only a small child, he is being called a king, a ruler, someone who will shepherd or lead. And those are Herod's titles and jobs. As you probably know, Herod was, as an actual historical figure, about as cruel and Machiavellian as they get. Biblical scholars and historians have long referred 
to King Herod as a megalomaniac, insecure to the point of being paranoid, an impulsive ruler, obsessively focused on slights, and prone to fits of fury when his ego was bruised or his power was threatened. It's difficult for us to imagine. <laughs> but that is the realpolitik world that Mary and Joseph lived in. That is the world that Jesus was born into. That is the world that God entered into the first epiphany, and that is the world that God enters into this epiphany. Here's the thing about Herod and all other small g gods, would-be lords. Here's the thing about any principality in power that tries to lay claim to our hearts and minds. None of them like to share power or be dethroned. So putting God at the center of our heart and life, naming Jesus as our Lord and as our Savior means dethroning the thing or the person or the people or the causes that are trying to be that Lord or that Savior for you, and you can bet that those small g gods will put up a fight. I think that's part of the reason that it's really difficult to actually sustain New Year's resolutions. Developing new habits or healthier relationships or healthier perspectives is difficult because it doesn't play, take place in neutral territory. It's a power struggle. It's a battle. Then is now, paying homage to Jesus, putting the Lord God at the center of our hearts and lives, displaces small g-gods trying to take that space and therefore is an inherently controversial and political thing to do. And the third and final insight from the passage. Coming into the presence of Jesus activates in the Magi and in us a desire to worship joyfully and to give lavishly. And it leaves the Magi and it leaves us changed people. We go home by a different road. When these Magi arrive, they see Jesus and Mary, and they're overwhelmed with joy. They kneel down and they pay him homage. Opening their treasure chest, they offer him gifts of gold and frankincense and mirth. What aspect of church, what aspect of belonging to a faith community gives you joy? Where do you most meet God? What are you passionate about that meets the world's needs? There are as many different answers to those questions as there are people here. Some people are drawn to and find joy in the beauty of the space itself, the historic buildings and grounds of this cathedral, and they give their very best in, in caring for them. Others are drawn to and find joy in the liturgy, the worship service itself, and what draws them is the music or the preaching or receiving the sacraments, and they give their very best by participating in those ministries and to help make Sundays happen. Some find joy in the sense of community here, in the ministries, in the pastoral care, in the outreach ministries, opportunities to serve others, 
koinonia, the work of racial and economic equity, fellowship or education opportunities, and they give their best and they find their joy by becoming more deeply involved and giving the precious gifts of their time and energies to those ministries. And there are many other reasons, many other draws into a faith community as well. But here's the thing, no matter where the involvement point is, know this. To respond to God's promptings, to venture afar, to engage the principalities and powers of this world, to worship joyfully and to give lavishly, that will change you. Churches are not primarily about inspiration. Churches are primarily about transformation. Transform hearts, transform minds, transform lives, and transform communities. That's what churches are called to do. Coming into the presence of Jesus activates a desire to worship joyfully and give lavishly. And that leaves us changed people. Just like the Magi, that first epiphany, we are transformed. We are aware that God has entered in. And so we go out these doors and back into our uncertain, risky, fast-paced, mysterious, realpolitik, joyful, tragic lives as different people taking a different and more hopeful road home. Amen.